0: Welcome back healthy people to on call with Dr. Randy. It's good to see you again for my avid listeners. And if you're a first time listener, welcome to the podcast, I'm Dr. Randy. And that's inner voice, Randy, say, Hey, inner voice, Randy. Why are you waving? It's podcast. I can't see you. Come to the mic, come to the mic and say, Hey, Hey, how y'all doing? Such enthusiasm. Come on Inner voice. Gotta be more lively than that. Inner Voice Randy makes guest appearances sometimes to say things Dr. Randy wouldn't say. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know how silly he can be sometimes. But if you've never heard of Inner Voice Randy, look out for him. But welcome again to the podcast. This week, I'm giving you a little peek behind the curtain on clinic workflow. Have you always wondered, why is my doctor always late? I mean, my appointment was at 3 o'clock and it's 3.03. Where is he or where is she? Have you said this? Nope, because I don't go to the doctor. My body feels good, so I must be okay. Um, I wasn't talking to you, voice. I was talking to the audience. Thanks for letting me know that you feel fine, but even if you feel okay, you should still have your annual physical never know what may pop up if you don't have your annual physical. Not everything causes you to have symptoms. Man, I feel fine. I don't need... (laughs) You feel what? (laughs) Cough got your tongue? I bet you should go get that physical and get checked out. Okay. Well, we'll check on Intervoice Randy a little bit later, guys. But let's talk about why some physicians may be late-seeing patients. I'll speak for myself, but I know a lot of physicians can relate to the things that I'll say. Let's start out by talking about my schedule. I start seeing patients at about eight in the morning and stop seeing patients around 4.30. In total, I have 22 slots on my schedule, meaning I can potentially see 22 patients in a day. That's 22 conversations. That's 22 different personalities. That's 22 different problems that can be very taxing. But hey, it's what I signed up for. That's my life. That's my job. I have 30 minutes to see patients for a physical or to establish care. So that means if they're new to the practice, that's what establishing care is. So I have 30 minutes for those people or I have 30 minutes for physical. Everyone else gets 15-minute slots. Yep, 15-minute slots. That's all the time I get for follow-up patients. So let's dig a bit deeper into why physicians can be late based upon some of the times that I just told you about the length of visits. So whose fault is it that the position is late? It's you guys' fault. It's not our fault, it's you guys. No, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. It's- is a multitude of factors so let's get into them one is patients being late for their appointments we all know that life happens and sometimes individuals can be late consequently we have a grace period at our office for patients being late and still being seen however being late puts a wrench into me being to see my patients on time if your appointment is at 9 and you show up at 9 10 Yes, you're still in the grace period to be seen, but it affects the workflow. It pushes me back time-wise seeing patients who are on time for their appointments and makes them side-eye me when I walk into the room with my handsome smile. Sometimes the handsome smile doesn't work. They're still upset at me for walking in late. As stated earlier, I only have 15-minute slots to see patients for follow-up. That includes bringing patients into the room, having their vital signs checked by my medical assistants, reviewing their medications, making sure they're still taking them or not taking them, making sure the record is accurate, listening to the problem that they come in to see me with, like do they have a cold, high blood pressure problems, anxiety, whatever their problem is, then I have to do a physical and then I have to develop a game plan after that. So my schedule only allows 15 minutes slots to make all that magic happen. That's it, 15 minutes. And realistically, all of that can not be done in 15 minutes. Some visits can take 10 minutes, some can take 25 minutes, but it's always kind of allotted, like booked into that 15 minute schedule. The reason sometimes the time can be longer than that 15 minutes is when individuals come to see me with multiple issues. I have a lot of people that come to see me with 10 things they wanna talk about and solve in one day. Hey, Dr. Hines, you know I got my list, so I can't sleep, my chest hurts a little bit, and when I laugh, a little pee comes out. Not a lot of pee, but a little pee like, hey, that's too much pee. <laughs> oh, there goes a little pee right there. Also, my knee has been hurting since fifth grade, and I want to get labs to make sure I don't have cancer. <sighs> Which type of cancer? All of the cancers. I want to get tested for all of them. Oh, God. Help me, Jesus. Help me. I kindly joke when people come in with a list of problems like that, that I'm not Jesus and can't solve it all in one visit. But I try my best to help them out as much as I can. But I tell them realistically that if you have multiple problems, you're going to have to see me for multiple visits. And that's the best way so I can have the proper time to address each issue. But I try my best to knock out some of the main things that they're concerned about. However, with me doing all of that, it pushes me back time-wise, which makes me be late for the next visits. Complicated patients take a lot of time. Complicated patients can consist of someone coming in with chest pain, which will require me to do an EKG, or someone coming in with depression. They require a lot more time to deal with. I probably average about 1.7 people crying on me in an office day. I say that sarcastically, but I'm serious. A lot of people come to me and just have a lot of stuff that they need to get off their chest. And I'm not going to rush them. I'm just going to provide a good ear to listen to whatever problems that they're talking about. Even if that makes me a little bit late. But you may not know this as a patient when I come in late who I had to deal with before seeing you. You may be that patient one day who will need that extra time and will be happy that I just kind of sat in there and listened to him. So, Dr. Randy, why don't they just give you more time to be with patients? That sounds like a you problem or a system of problem and not a patient problem. Well, I'll give you my answer at the end of this podcast on why I'm not allowed more time to be with patients. So let's get into the interview. This week I'm interviewing Dr. Ronald Evans. Dr. Evans is a board certified dentist practicing in a suburb of Houston called Missouri City, aka Mo City for those who are from the Houston area. I gotta make sure I say Mo City. He's a native of Detroit and a member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. So he's one of my friend brothers. A major part of his practice is dentures, partials and extractions. However, he does some general dentistry work as well. But one of the most exciting parts of his practice is helping in the implementation of celebrity grills. You know the diamond or platinum grills that some of your favorite celebrities wear in their mouths? Yeah, those grills. Dr. Evans works in conjunction with famed jeweler, Johnny Dane to make the magic happen. We will get into what made him become a dentist, what you can do to help keep your teeth clean, his role in the grill process, and if he had to be a tooth for a day, which tooth would he be? Yes, I know that's a random question, but that's why it's part of Randy's random question. So here's the interview with Dr. Ronald Evans. So welcome to the podcast, Brother Evans. Thank you for being a part of On Call with Dr. Randy. Thanks,
1: Doc. My pleasure to be here, new.
0: All right. So for those who don't know, me and Dr. Evans are both frat brothers, part of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity So I wanted to have him on so we can kind of chop it up about his dentist business and then also about him making grills for celebrities as well. So give a little bit of spiel about your background and how you kind of built your uh, dentist practice.
1: Born and raised east side of Detroit. I went to University of Detroit Mercy School of Dentistry. Practiced there for the majority of my career, but the economy went bad. The weather was bad. I decided I needed a change. Uh, bounced around for a minute, ended up in Texas. So started here in 2008, didn't want to own a practice anymore. So I thought, you know, I just kind of wanted a job, had done that, didn't want to do it. But obviously, that's not what God had in store for me. So I was bouncing around from job to job. And in 2016, I had the opportunity to buy a practice. So I bought that practice. That office basically emphasized dentures, extractions and implants. And so that's kind of the model that we built on in-house in lab where we can make dentures and flexible partials and things like that. So our turnaround time was a lot quicker. So we can literally have a patient come in in the morning, take impressions by that afternoon, take out all their teeth and put the dentures in the same day. So they're not walking around without teeth. So that's the majority of my business, that type of thing.
0: Okay. What made you want to become a dentist? Is it something that you always wanted to do growing up? You got inspired by somebody. You had a certain type of experience with your own dental history. Like what made you become a dentist?
1: Always liked learning about the human body. That was always my emphasis. So want to be a doctor, want to learn about the human body. But the older I got, I realized I hated hospitals. Every time I went to the hospital, someone I loved was sick or dying and I didn't like dealing with that part. I didn't want to deal with that part. So it's like, okay, well, how can I be a doctor and not have to worry about people dying on? It? And so I thought about optometry, dentistry, and chose dentistry,
0: and here I am. Okay. Yeah, one of my good homeboys from uh, undergrad, he said that he became a dentist and not a medical doctor because he didn't want to do rectal exams. (laughs) Every time I see him, I always think about that because I'm over here doing (laughs) rectal exams if need be. And I'm like, man, I think I might have picked the wrong industry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But believe it or not, people feel the same way about the mouth. How can you do that? You know, but hey, you just have to find something that uh, makes your day go better. And uh, for me, that's what it was, dentistry.
0: Right, right. So odd question, but like what kind of excites you about dentistry?
1: Well, I like helping people. So whether you're restoring someone's smile or replacing missing teeth or restoring function, you know, a lot of patients have a, a lot of teeth that need to come out. You can take out those teeth. You can make them look better. You can restore their self-confidence. It's even uh, transcended to medical missions. You know, I've done 14 medical missions in a lot of different places where they don't have access to a dentist. I mean, being from Detroit, many of these places I never knew about, knew where they were on the globe until I had a chance to go do it on a mission. So being able to help people that way in uh, many different aspects of uh, oral health has really been a blessing to me.
0: So where'd you go on some of these medical mission trips and how? Uh, drastic were the conditions that you had to work in
1: uh, great question That first one was in haiti and we were basically working in a church it was july it was about 98 degrees um no running water no electricity no ventilation you know and under those conditions we just had to help as many people um as we could um as a dentist you know i had no electricity so i didn't have hand pieces or anything like that so all i could do was take out teeth but um, trust me when I say it was so many teeth that needed to be taken out. You know, it, it was really a, a very diverse learning experience for me because I hadn't worked under those kind of conditions before. You know, we're used to working in air conditioning with equipment and things like that. But, you know, you learn how to take out teeth under those conditions. You can you can do it anywhere. But uh, Haiti was the first. Um, probably my most favorite was uh, Senegal. It was my only trip to the continent so far. And it was just great to be able to to, to serve our people there and uh, get the experience of uh, taking in a lot of history over there as well. So certainly that was something I would recommend and that I intend to get back to one day.
0: Okay. Yeah, I took one trip overseas during medical school to do a medical mission trip. So I can relate to working in those type of conditions. I know it's a whole lot different for you, like having to use tools and trying to keep it sterile as much as you can to remove teeth and all kind of different procedures. Like guess we're just pretty much doing physical exams and dispensing medication. So it's another type of level of interaction that you had to kind of deal with on on those medical mission trips.
1: Yes, sir.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, talk about a little bit about your early practice in Detroit. Like, how did that kind of go for you early on?
1: My first solo practice opportunity was uh, very special for me. Um, Literally, it was two, my office was two miles from where I grew up. So I was happy to be able to get my start there. But, you know, very depressed, socioeconomic area. Uh, couldn't make it work there, there long. But I bounced around to the suburbs for a while. And that was good. You know, I had, had an office in the uh, Detroit area for 14 years. But like I said, one day I woke up and realized, you know, the economy was bad. At that point, the weather was bad. And it was like, well, why am I here? I can't help people anymore. Um, the story I like to tell is I had a husband and wife. The, hus- the husband worked in a photo framing gallery the wife worked for a big 3. Well, the gallery got shut down, the wife got laid off, and now you have two late 50-year-old patients that have no income. So they couldn't get dental work done. You know, not not to mention other things that they needed. But hearing that story several times a day, well, okay, Ms. Jones, you need these eight things done. Well, I can't afford those eight things. Done. I can only afford one of them. Which one can I do now and which ones can wait till next year? Miss mm-hmm. Jones is March. None of it can wait until next year. You know, so you have that conversation four or five times a day. It just gets depressing because, you know, you can't work free, but you can't help people who can't afford to, to care. You know, mm-hmm. so that was really the focus of why I wanted to get out of Michigan. because I just felt like the economy wasn't working for me anymore and I couldn't help people. And that's really what I wanted to do.
0: Right. How tricky is that from a provider standpoint, sometimes dealing with people who don't have enough dental insurance or coverage, but you know that they need certain things to improve their health?
1: Well, that's one of the things why the industry is all messed up as it relates to insurance and dentistry. For example, 25 years ago, the average annual benefit was $1,500. And so for many of the plans now, it's still $1,500, sometimes even less. So 25 years ago, you could get a lot more done with 1500 But try doing that in 2021. That's not even fixing one tooth in many cases, you know. Mm-hmm. So the insurance industry doesn't really work well for, for my profession in my humble opinion. Right,
0: right. And right. patients
1: still think the insurance is supposed to cover everything. And, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't work, doesn't work like that.
0: It doesn't cover everything? You sure about that? <laughs> like when they always tell me, it's in my chart. Like you you know we got different charts, like different <laughs> systems where we keep everything at. So right. yeah. I mean I kind of like what you talked upon earlier, like it's very like how can I put this? Like some individuals when their mouth is not like they want it to be and they do lose their self-confidence. So I have some individuals who come to see me, like I know one of my patients, like I always would think for the longest, like she wouldn't talk that much when she came in to see me. But once she got her teeth fixed, like we're having full conversations. Like, how much do you see as far as with your patients, their confidence improve once you help improve their dental health?
1: Oh, a tremendous amount. For example, you know, people tend to think of dentures as for old people, you know, but then you add meth for one Mm. and crack for two. You know, Mm. I've had many patients 19 years old that I have to take out all their teeth and put dentures in because. That's the only thing that we can do at that point if we can't fix enough teeth to make anything else work. And so certainly when you have people who are chemical dependent, part of it is restoring, as you know, that ridding them of that dependency. But the other part is, OK, once you fix that part, then they still have to return to society. They still want to be able to find a good job. But you can't do that if you if your oral care is, you know, substandard. So being able to take a person like that who has overcome addiction and improving their aesthetics of their mouth. I mean, that's like a tremendous, a tremendous blessing to be able to provide that to people. And certainly that's been a part of me learning how the industry works as it relates to that. And dentures is not just for elderly patients. It's for anybody who needs, needs it done. And sometimes you don't have another choice.
0: Right. Right. So in the early onset of your practice, who did you start to learn from business wise to make sure that your business was a success like, did you start reading a whole bunch of books or did you have a mentor or are you just like, man, I just got to learn as I go?
1: Well, when I first got out of school, I, I had a few mentors. But um, when I first started my practice, a doc who I used to work for had a building that he owned. And so eventually I end up going into that building and leasing that space and starting my practice that way in Detroit. And uh, even though I was on my own, he was still there to help me hold my hand, you know, show me the ropes, that type of thing. So in my early career, that's really where my foundation was, uh, was started. But interestingly enough, when I moved to Texas... And I just bounced around from job to job. Once I bought a practice, it ended up being in that same model of an office that I worked in a corporate setting, where the corporate industry position was dentures. The place was called Dentures and Dental Services. So, again, we focused on dentures, extractions, and implants. And several years later, the practice that I bought was a guy who used to work for there as well. And it was the same focus dentures, extractions, and implants. So, I'd worked in that place for a year and a half. So, I kind of knew the, 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 the ropes as to how you try to make that work for you.
0: How big of a move was that for you going from Detroit to Houston?
1: It's huge. You know, started off in Dallas, was there for about three years. Um, it was cool. It, it was better than home, but it never really felt like home. You know, mm. Houston is much better for me. I um, feel much more comfortable here. It's a much more diverse environment than Dallas. I'm certainly more accepting as it relates to, uh, you know, racism and that, that type of thing, which to me, was a big problem in Dallas. You know, a lot of times I worked in, in offices there and when they got to the back, they didn't expect me to see me back there. You know what I'm saying? So- like,
0: um, what's your black self doing back here? What the doctor here? Absolutely, <laughs>
1: absolutely. Absolute. Um, so, but Houston, you know, is much more accepting. So, it, you know, I, I haven't experienced it like that here, but uh, it was a big transition. You know, in, in insurance is different. You know, in, in Detroit, for example, with the big three, there was a lot of traditional insurance plans. Well, in Houston, there were no more traditional insurance plans as related industry. Everything was a PPO. And as you can imagine, the fee scale is different. You know, for the traditional plans, you're getting paid at this level. For the PPO plans, you know, you're getting paid much less. So just learning how to manage those type of things, you know, was part of the, the learning curve here.
0: Okay. And so you kind of talked about a little bit as far as a couple of times buying into practices. And it seems like also you've worked for different companies too as well, correct? Absolutely. OK, so can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two from just a dentist standpoint of what it took for you to buy it into a practice and what it took to or what did you kind of feel like when you were working for somebody else?
1: I think still the, the most people who go into dentistry want to be their own boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is most people's experience that I've talked to want that one day, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of when you can get to that place in your career where you're comfortable enough to, to make that move. And for me, I had a bunch of opportunities working in many different capacities. You know, I worked in private practice for another doctor. As you mentioned, I worked in corporate dentistry. I've worked part time for on military bases. So a lot of different experiences in dentistry. But I think for me, I've always been the most comfortable when I was in a solo practice for myself. I own the office. That's just how I'm built. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the differences between like dentistry and medicine. Most of my friends who have went into dentistry have attempted to are doing practicing on their own, as opposed to us physicians. We're we're rarely going out there and practicing on our own and starting our own business because mm-hmm. we kind of got to worry about that overhead aspect.
1: Yeah, and, and certainly that's that's a tremendous consideration in dentistry as well. I mean. You're still looking at about somewhere between 60 and 70% of what you make goes towards overhead. You know, employees, um, one of the big things is materials and lab costs are are really, really high to to do what we do. So, you know, if you want to make X amount of dollars, you know, and you're on your own, you still have to worry about trying to decrease that overhead and uh, not let that compromise your care.
0: Right. So as a patient, will they notice any difference between going for seeing a provider who's with a company versus somebody who's their own practice?
1: Well, in my opinion, absolutely. You know, when you're in corporate America, it's still corporate America. You know, you you have to kind of take orders how the corporate structure is set up and what they want you to deliver to the patient. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're your own boss, you can deliver the type of personalized care that works for you. You know, I've always been the type where, you know, if you call me after hours, I'm going to answer my cell phone. You know, Mm -hmm. if I need to come in to take somebody out of pain or that type of thing, I've always been accessible to that. Everybody doesn't do it that way, but that's the way that's always worked for me Mm -hmm. because I can deliver that personalized attention, you know, to the level that I
0: think it should be given. Right, right. And you felt like that was lacking in the corporate America structure?
1: Well, in the corporate dental structure, for sure, because, you know, you don't don't feel that invested when you work for the company, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, how you, at least I felt disposable. You know, it, it's just uh, one job, for example, um, we were working in this one office. Um, it was myself and a younger doctor. OK, well, the office was losing money. They wanted to be able to make two million dollars a year, but we didn't have patient pool for two million dollars a year. So what ended up happening is they had me train this young guy and then they paid him much less than they paid me and they end up getting rid of me. So, you mm-hmm. know, corporate America. It's the same thing as it relates to healthcare. a lot of times for us.
0: Hey, man, that's tough right there. (laughs) But but that's how they get you.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. So what made you kind of go into dentures, dentals and uh, dentures and extractions?
1: You know, uh, just because working in that corporate office that that emphasized that, that wasn't like my thing. It's not like I like, oh, I love dentures or I love implants. It wasn't like that. It's just I worked in that environment for a year and a half. It's kind of a crazy story, man, but I'll tell it. I was working in another job and basically we hit our goal and the senior doctor took the whole office on vacation. Okay. We went to Mexico. Long story short, I come around the corner and I walk into a situation where the senior doctor and my colleague were having an affair. And Mm. when we got back from the trip, I got fired. Mm. Okay. Because I walked into it. And basically I started looking for another job and I saw this job and the doctor was describing what I felt was me. You know, he wanted a more experienced provider, that type of thing. I called him up. I went and met with him two days later and and the conversation went just like this. I said, doc, you know, I haven't seen the inside of the office. I said, but when I read that ad, I felt like it was written just for me. I said, I don't even care what the inside of the office looks like. I want the practice. He, He reached in his pocket, handed me the key. And we shook hands. And that was it.
0: Wow. And, and
1: that's how I bought that practice.
0: What was in that ad that was speaking directly towards you?
1: Um, He was looking for a, a certain type of provider. You know, he wanted someone with experience. He didn't want a new grad. He wanted someone who was concerned about the patient first, who wasn't driven by what the insurance was going to pay. That delivered personal touch much like he did, you know. And I really felt like I'm like, he's talking to me. In fact, he's talking about me. And I really felt like I was just led to see that because where he had it posted, it wasn't in a place where people go look to buy practices because I wasn't looking to buy a practice. It was where people go to to find a job. And that's why I was there. But when I read it, I just felt like it was written for me and it was only posted the day before I saw it.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and so for me to walk into that man's office, say those things to him and for him to give me the key. I mean, that was all the proof I needed.
0: God works in mysterious ways.
1: Absolutely. And I wasn't ready for that. You know, I, I didn't want that. I wanted a job. Mm-hmm. But like I said, he had a different plan for it.
0: So you went from looking for a job to getting an entire practice.
1: Yep. It, you know, it was a startup because basically at that point, it, it was only open four days a month, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had to take it from nothing to, you know, try to get it up and running. And, you know, fortunately I was able to do that. But certainly my experience working in, that environment where extractions and implants and dentures were the focus helped me to, you know, keep that going the way that it was and to uh, get it off the ground. So it it, it was definitely a blessing.
0: And that's where you're at currently right now. Yes, sir. Okay. Wow. That's, that's a crazy story right there. You (laughs) took the wrong turn going the wrong way, seeing the wrong thing, (laughs) got let go. And now you got another practice of your own and you making grills for celebrities now.
1: Well, I mean, that was crazy too because that's not something that I ever wanted to do. Um, I had a patient who had an implant. I didn't place that particular implant, but he knew I did implants, he came to me. And this guy decided he wanted a diamond tooth on that implant, mm-hmm. you know? So like, okay, well, I know who can make a diamond tooth, so I had to try to coordinate this, give examples and have him order which one he wanted. So, I get the the impressions, I I Take them to the store, the salesperson who I only talked to online trying to get this order situated for my patient. I meet with him. And when he walks out and sees me, he's like, You're the doctor? (laughs) I'm like, Yes. You know, I'm just like this. He says, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're looking for another doctor. He's like, Can I set up a meeting with my manager? Sure. He sets up the meeting. I met with the manager, and literally that day, they start blowing up my phone, trying to send me patients, you know, to to, to do grills. I'm like, well, I can't do it today. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I got to get staff in place and all that type of thing. So um, again, you know, another situation that I wasn't looking for that, you know, obviously that's where I was supposed to be. So um, that's been, that's been a lot of fun. You know, it's it's not something ever, you know, that we are taught in school or anything like that, but it's certainly a nice diversion from your regular day-to-day dentistry, you know. So now I have it set up where I see my patients in my practice in the morning every day. Like today, I saw two patients. I took out some teeth. I placed six implants and uh, put partial dentures in on both of them. And then in the afternoon, I came and I did grills for, you know, the, uh, other patients. So it, it, it's a lot of fun at this point in my career.
0: Okay. So how long ago did you first start doing that? Like you told that original story about how long ago was that?
1: As far as with the grills, that was last year. Um, year. So I I started uh, doing that last year. And I don't make the grills. You know, the Uh jeweler, Johnny Dang, makes the grills. But they send the patients to me and I put the grills in. A lot of times they have other dental concerns. So I get that business as well. You know, certainly I've placed implants and and, you know, we put grills on top of implants and all kinds of interesting things at this point. So it's a, it's a lot of fun.
0: All right. So how did you and Johnny Dane link up?
1: Well, that's where I bought the diamond crown for my patient who wanted it on top of his implant. Mm-hmm. And then from there, he set the the salesperson set the meeting up with the manager. And so I just started seeing their customers.
0: OK, They're pretty simple right there.
1: Yes, sir. So it, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. You know, uh, most of the clientele, you know, as you can imagine, you know, looks like us. So, you know, that helps. I can relate to the customer, but certainly it's not anything that I would have ever imagined I'd be doing at this stage of my career.
0: Why do you think grills are so popular?
1: I never, I didn't know that they still were. That's the crazy part. (laughs) I had no idea that it was this big. And the the very interesting thing about it, you know, I'm in Houston, but probably 95% of the clients that I see for grills travel to get here. Nobody's local. You know, Mm -hmm. I, got people driving twelve hours. I got people flying up from Florida, California. Uh, it, it it's amazing because who knew? I, I mean, I don't see people walking around with grills all the time, but it's really, really big. Still, you know, and and this was twenty something years ago when when you know Nelly's song was out, and mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just unbelievable. I never knew it was going to be like this for sure.
0: Yeah, it's always been very popular, especially in the South. Unbelievable. Yeah, because that's where I'm from. I never had a grill. I don't know if I've gone past the age where I can get one. <laughs> I think I'm maxing out on a number of years. Maybe maybe in the future, if I want to shoot a random mixtape cover or something just for fun, maybe I'll come down and get one from you.
1: Hey, they got pullouts, but, you know, the real ballers, they don't want those. They want permanents, as they
0: call it. Right, right. So kind of getting into that, can you tell us about, like, what's the difference between some of the grills that you do versus permanent versus a mouthpiece?
1: Okay. The short condensed version is the, the, the permanent grills are, the way they're made, it, are kind of similar to how we as dentists or dental labs would make a crown. You know, they don't cover as much of the tooth as a, as a normal crown would, but it's, it's kind of the same concept. I don't really do the pull-out grills. You know, they don't really need me for that. So the ones that I do are the permanent grills where it comes to me on a model, I have to retrofit it. So in dentistry, if we we're going to make a crown on you, for example, Mm-hmm. I would drill on that tooth first, take an impression, send it to the lab. The lab would make the crown. Well, in jewelry, they do it backwards. They take the impression. They make the model. They cut the teeth on the model. Then they make the jewelry to fit. And then when they send it to me, I have to retrofit. So I have to look on the model to see where I need to adjust the teeth so that it fits like it's supposed to fit. You know. Mm-hmm. So if we have, let's say, most, most clients, if they do top and bottom, that's anywhere between 16 and 20 teeth. And mm-hmm. so when I get it, it may take me 30 to 40 minutes to, to adjust the teeth, cement the uh, each individual grill in place and clean it up.
0: And are you taking out these teeth as well?
1: I don't have to remove the teeth to put the grill in. Oftentimes what happens is, so think of it this way, on your canine teeth, the pointy ones, and then the premolars right behind them, wherever there are points on those teeth, most of the time I have to flatten those points. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not... To the point where I have to numb the patient at all because we're only taking off a very little of the tooth, you know. So that point, we make that flat, and then in most cases, that's enough clearance to make the jewelry fit how they've uh, made it on the model.
0: Okay, and then about how long do these grills last for? (sighs) That's
1: a great question, man. I mean, it's just like dentistry, you know, how the patient takes care of it. It's going to affect how long it lasts, you know. But unfortunately, as you can imagine, people who are in a position to buy grills, you know, they ain't really worried about flossing their teeth and that type of thing. You know, they come in and all they talking about, I'm just going to wear this for a little while, then I'm going to give me some veneers. You know, that's I hear that ten times a day. You know, that's kind of the mentality there. They're not looking at it as a as a lifetime or a long term commitment. They just want that bling right now.
0: Okay, so what do they need to do to upkeep it? Like, well, are they, are they brushing their teeth with certain things? Well,
1: I, I've never been big on products, but certainly they need to brush, they need, they need to floss, and um, there's a difference in how you have to floss with the grill as opposed to how you would floss with your regular teeth. Many people like those plastic toothpick things, you know what I'm talking about? that has a little string around the hook and it goes like that, you know what I'm saying? Yep, if you I use, use that, <laughs> yeah, ter- terrible. Doc, don't <laughs> use them. One, they can't, they can't clean as well as regular floss used correctly. But as it relates to the oral jewelry, that, will, that straight part will get up under there and pull that jewelry out, you mm. know. So after counseling, don't ever use those. You know, they like those. They see people on, on Instagram using those with their jewelry, but it's terrible. It'll pull it out. Right. Okay. Um, and so three, four times a year, they should get their teeth cleaned because, of course, it's much harder to keep that clean. And then one of those times we recommend taking out all the jewelry at that visit, cleaning the teeth, cleaning the jewelry. Mm-hmm. and then put it on back in.
0: Okay. How much are these grills usually running around?
1: <laughs> well, I'll say it like this. Again, I don't make the the grills. However, mm-hmm. they spend, if it's, it's two basic setups that they have, but the entry level cost is $20,000. The high end is $35,000, man, for these flawless Diamond setups that they get. So it's unbelievable.
0: You said entry level, $20,000. <laughs> hey,
1: that's that's what it is, man.
0: Ooh, man, man. So, is it fun for you in this process, or do you just look at it as just, oh, this is just business? Or you, you get a kind of a high, a job high, kind of doing this, like, oh, they bringing in such and such. Yeah, I can't wait to work with them.
1: Well, it, it, it's definitely exciting. You know, doing something that you never envisioned yourself doing, and, and realizing your role in it, it, it's fun. You know, it's a lot of fun. It, it breaks up the monotony of okay, I, I'm just going to take this tooth out today. I'm going to place an implant here you know, I'm going to do a filling over there. Um, whereas every patient is a new game. You know, they have, I mean, I placed uh rose gold grills, blue diamond grills, yellow diamond grills. I mean, just all kind of crazy combinations. You know, it's just like uh beauty is in the eye be- of the beholder. I wouldn't put this in my mouth, but Hey, if that's what they want, I'm going to do it, you know? But then some of it's like, you know what, if, I'm not gonna wear a grill, but if I did, I'd wear that one right there. That was kind of nice, you know. So it's, it's, it's all kinds of stuff, man. All
0: right, so you haven't made one for yourself as of yet.
1: No, not yet. I don't, I don't think I'm gonna get there. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think who, I'm gonna get there.
0: Who are some of the people that you made grills for thus far?
1: Well, again, I don't make the grills, uh, but I. But no once once mm-hmm. Johnny Dane makes the grills, you know, I put them in. But uh, uh, I saw um, I did Kodak Black, so he had goals. I took his gold teeth out, and then. Uh, Helped them to to take the impressions, all that. We got the grill made, and then I put that one in when we finished. So Kodak Black. Uh, most recently, I did a ride Wave. Uh, that was about three weeks ago, so that that was exciting. And then last week, I did my first NFL player, but I can't say his name yet. But uh, okay, you know, so you get get to see a lot of people, and uh, like I said, it's not something that I ever thought I would be doing. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a lot of fun for me.
0: What's the process like bringing them into the building? Is it a whole bunch of security that you got to shut down the whole building, uh, bring them in through the back door, take your one little promo pic in and out? It, it,
1: you know, what's really funny about this, this girl life to me is uh, not security like you're talking about, but more entourage, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not just the big celebrities. I mean, it, it is. You know, it's no secret. People who spend thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars dollars you know, a lot of them, you know, get their money through the game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they'll come in, they'll have their own cameraman filming the whole thing because, of course, they want it on IG that day. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they have hype man. It, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So certainly not not your typical dental patients, that's for sure.
0: OK, so the lay folks. What can they do if they wanted to come in and get some kind of dental work with diamonds or something? Would they have to go through Johnny Dane but couldn't afford to, like, come to you for the second part? Like, how would that work out for them?
1: Well, what I say is, as you mentioned, being in the South, I mean, certainly we do a lot of gold teeth that they make over there. So everybody doesn't spend that type of money. I mean, sometimes it's just one tooth, especially for women, you know, down here in the South, they will get one open face gold crown. I mean, you know, we'll put that in for them. know, so everybody's not dropping 20 to 30. Sometimes it's just one, two. Sometimes it's two diamond teeth on the canines. You know, just kind of just like in, in dentistry. You know, some people just want a tooth in there and some people want top of the line, don't have to take it out, you know, high aesthetic demands. So that, that grill industry is the same way.
0: Right. I, I forgot people do love those open face goals. My mom had one when she was in her twenties. She said she didn't know they had to shave down the tooth. To put that on there.
1: Right, right. Mm. Yeah, but it, it's still that way, man. People still
0: like it. Right. She didn't like it no more. She got that taken out. She's like, nah, I hear that. <laughs> All right. So how has this kind of helped your business overall, this aspect that you weren't thinking about ever in the past doing? Well, I mean,
1: it, it, it's increased amount of patients, you know, the more patients you see, the more services you're able to provide, you know, that's going to help your bottom line. And certainly this for me has been a way to do that. I've, it's been probably, uh, eight years or so since I saw kids on the regular as patients, you know, I love kids, just not as patients. Um, so this has just been another way to provide services to adult patients in a patient population that I wasn't seeing at all, you know, So like I said, it's been a lot of fun, it's exciting, but certainly I don't ever see me only doing that and not doing my regular dentistry, because I love that too.
0: Okay, so it seems like you get a good balance of both things.
1: Yep, yep, like I say now, the way my schedule is in the morning, I see my regular dental patients and in most afternoons I'm doing grills, so Mm -hmm. it's good.
0: How much has faith played a part in your dentistry? Because it seems like from just kind of our discussion that you stepped out on faith, a couple of times like buying a practice um, applying for that job and getting the practice that you have now then moving from detroit to houston i'm sure faith has played a major role
1: oh absolutely and like i said the the biggest opportunities that that i've had in my career had nothing to do with me you know Mm -hmm. that article being placed in my path at at the right time when i was looking for a job you know i wasn't trying to buy a practice i was looking for a job and then i knew when I went in there and like I said, I had that conversation with him. and He just handed me a key. Where do they do that? You know, it, it, it just doesn't happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know, like I said, that he had other things in plan for me that I wasn't even trying to do. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, even like you said, me ended up here in Houston. You know, I'm from the east side of Detroit. You know, mm-hmm. I love Detroit. It will always be home. But I can't ever live there again. But I never knew that that would lead me to Texas, and, and you know, I'd be a, a business owner here again and that type of thing. Because it wasn't my plan; I had no interest in trying to do that. But I'm there. I'm very thankful that it was part of his plan, and that I'm just trying to do it the best I can for as long as I can.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So two last questions. So if you had to give a word to somebody who's young in their dental career, what would you tell them right now?
1: I would say. Try to diversify yourself early as you can in your career so you know what you like, you find out what you're good at, and then you're able to focus on those things for the long term. You know, like, for example, uh, the the practice that I told you that I got fired from because the people having an affair, they were really big into implants. Mm-hmm. And at That's that point... Implants. Yes, sir.
0: And at that point,
1: no, no, no. Replacing teeth implants. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But at that point in my career, I didn't want to do that. You know, it was terrifying to me. You know what? You're going to drill a hole in somebody's bone and put some titanium in it. You know, well, what about the nerves? What about their blood vessels? What about their medication? You know, I wanted no parts of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you learn how to you have to be open to learning that type of thing. And at that point, I wasn't. But. When I take the corporate job, I knew I was going to have to because that's what they focused on, you know. So I got the proper training. I got the proper mentors to, to sit down with me and help me, you know, wrap my mind around how I'm going to do this. And I laugh at myself every day when I place an implant now because I'm like, I remember I was terrified to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I've been placing for, you know, 10 years and uh, it's just great, man. It really is.
0: You can do it with your eyes closed now.
1: No, not quite that. But, (laughs) uh, you you know, you just just have to be open to to things that take you beyond your comfort zone, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, and the the
1: sooner you can do that, the better you're going to be for the long term. Second piece of advice, I'd say, certainly the business aspect is probably something that we just never get enough training in. You know, certainly we didn't in school. Uh, Most of the time, we don't get that after school because we're just still trying to learn how to treat the patient, you know, not how to run the practice. And, you know, I'm still learning how to do those things. You know, you could be the most successful dentist in the world and still not make money if you don't hire the right people, if you don't have checks and balances in place so the wrong people aren't stealing from you, which, um, you know, has happened to me in my practice before. So those type of things, man, you just have to kind of try to um, learn as much as you can and stretch your comfort zone beyond where you thought it should be. And the quicker you're able to do that, the better you're going to be.
0: Yeah, that's some good advice. Unfortunately, when we go to school, dental school, medical school, they don't teach us that business aspect like we need to learn. It's kind of like learn as you go. We're going to teach you everything about the body. And, oh, you, you'll make money. You'll be fine. But like, how do I manage the money? How do I make sure I'm not losing the money? What do I do with all this new money? They don't teach us that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So last thing, what would you leave for as advice for patients to keep their dental health in order?
1: Well, I think the Internet is a great tool, you know, but you, you still have to see a, a licensed professional, you know, you, just like I'm sure your patients tell you about what they read on the internet or what their coworkers have told them. You know, most mm-hmm. people get m- more general advice from their coworkers than they do from professionals. It's it's amazing to me when that happens. But, you know, you can read as much as you can. You can learn some of those things from online, but it still doesn't replace getting proper care by people who have been trained to do it. And that really needs to happen.
0: I totally agree. This is what I go to school for. Let me. Treat you. The other day, I left work with a black eye because I was fighting Google all day. Everybody was telling me, "Like, yeah, I read this on Google." I'm like, "Ah, get off Google!" But it's there to help overall. So, yeah. And
1: one of the things we have to contend with down here, you know, because of cost, a lot of patients go to Mexico and get stuff done. You know, nothing against Mexico, mm-hmm. but people spend a lot of money down there, and oftentimes it don't work out for their benefit. So, you know, sometimes you just have to pay. The the going rate to get what you want if you want it to be done right.
0: So what are some of your patients going to Mexico for? Hopefully it's not Uh, for grills.
1: Oh, no. Implants. uh, You know, full mouth extractions and implants most often because they can save, you know, several thousand of dollars by doing it there. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, you know, it's it's just not uh, up to the standard of care that we're used to here in, in the United States.
0: So, what kind of issues are they coming back with from those uh, dental procedures uh, done in Mexico?
1: Infections, failed implants, um, situation where all the money that they spent was for naught because we have to take out everything that was done and start over because the mm. implants have failed. You know, and sometimes it's within weeks of it being placed. You know?
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: That's crazy. Yes, sir.
0: All right. So we're going to wrap this conversation up. We're going to ask you Randy's random questions. It's a little fun part I do with all my guests at the end. So you ready to knock it out?
1: All right, let's go. All
0: right. So question number one, if you had one word to describe Detroit, what would that word be and why?
1: I said it early, it will always be home. You know, mm-hmm. my family is still there. My mom, my brothers, mm-hmm. uh, it will always be home. Always rep my city, you know, uh, uh, Detroit versus everybody. You know, mm-hmm. I I have the whole lot gear here. I mean, I love Detroit. Mm-hmm. I just can't live there anymore, but it will always be home. Rep my teams. I'm still a season ticket holder, Detroit Lions, you know, Ooh, 20, 27 years, you know. So that's something that's always going to be there. So, you know, Detroit's home.
0: You loyal. You are a Lions fan ticket holder. Absolutely. All right, all right. And so, how special was it for you having your first practice? Like you said, about two blocks down from where you grew up.
1: It, it was two miles from where I grew up, brother. Um, it was very special to me. I, I mean, I can remember that day like it was yesterday. The first day I opened, I'm driving to the office, and literally, I just thought about you know my whole life up until that point. And literally, I was just crying on the way to work that day, man. It, it was an awesome experience to be able to start there on my own in my first practice. But like I said. I knew I wasn't going to stay there. You know, it couldn't. The the, the area was bad. You know, I, I joke about it now, but, uh, and I don't know how much time you spend in Detroit, but where my practice was, it was a liquor store on one corner, car wash on another corner, and a car wash on the other corner. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> that's just how it was. You know, self-serve car wash and then the regular car wash, you know, that's Detroit. But I love my city, man. i uh, thankful that I was able to start there, um, you know, where I grew up. But um dentistry has certainly taken me literally um across the world and uh, I'm very thankful for that.
0: Yeah, I've never been to Detroit before. If I go to Detroit one day, where's the one place that I should go to restaurant wise?
1: Uh <laughs> oh, man, that's a hard question, man, because you know, I'm not uh but uh soulful Food Restaurant uh spot called Beans and Cornbread. It's actually in uh in Southfield, which is you know, suburb right outside the, the city. But uh mm-hmm. A brother named Patrick Coleman uh, owns that place. Has been around now for probably twenty years. It's a great place.
0: Okay, cool. So, what kind of uh, building are you in as far as your practice? Like one story, two story, three story?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm in a strip mall, okay. um, and, it, and so it's just a, a one story facility uh, in, in a strip mall. But um, uh, as a result, a lot of uh, walk in business. You know, there's, there's a lot of restaurants over there that kind of drives people into the area. So. Um, certainly, it needs to be freestanding. You know, I, I would not recommend high rise buildings because it's hard. People don't know you're there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, you know? exactly. sir. So.
0: so the reason I ask you this, this is Randy's random question. So you happen to be in a building, you're in the elevator. Elevator's going up. The elevator gets stuck. You're in the elevator for an hour. What is one song that could play for an entire hour that wouldn't bother you? Like one of your favorite songs, if it was just on repeat in that elevator for an entire hour, what is one song that wouldn't bother you, and what is one song that would bother you if it was played for an entire hour in the elevator?
1: Okay, uh, the one that that, that I would want to hear, if I had to choose, would be uh, from the Hamilton soundtrack. I'm not throwing away my shot because right. that's my that's my theme song. You know, I, I I I'm a runner, so when I run, I'm listening to that. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm Hyping myself up, I listen to that because I'm not throwing away my shot. In a lot of ways, that's how this grill thing happened. That's how the implant thing happened. You know, I'm going to take my shot when I can take it. Um, So that would be that one. One that I couldn't stand would probably be almost anything (laughs) (laughs) country-western. Almost anything country-western. Well,
0: I mean, nothing's
1: wrong with it. It's just not my taste. You know, uh, growing up in Detroit, we're not really getting that on the radio, you know, (laughs) in my hood so no thanks i'll
0: pass i bet you're getting a lot more in texas though
1: yeah for sure but hey all
0: i can tune it out all right yep yep definitely so <laughs> i think i would choose like some of course some texas music some mike jones still tipping i think i'd be okay with that like playing okay. in the elevator for an hour mm-hmm. for some reason i've always disliked the group next okay uh, the r&b group so if it was that song whatever you want to do if that was just playing in the elevator i would probably like blow my brains out as <laughs> i couldn't deal, deal with that all day so the last question so since you're a dentist if you had to be any tooth for a day which tooth would you pick like if you had to be a molar an incisor tooth like which tooth would you be and why this is Randy's random question. Is, <laughs> I know this I, is something you weren't expecting. Oh, absolutely.
1: No no one's ever asked me about if I were a tooth, which one I would be. I would probably say a canine. Okay. Um, th- th- there's this concept called canine guidance. And so basically when you're chewing, the canine kind of directs which way you're going to go. It kind of runs things in the mouth, for lack of a better way to describe it. And I'm always the person who wants to, to run things. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not... The follower, And part of my problem is I don't know how to just be a member. I want to run it. I want to be the president, you know, that type of thing. So I'd say that for that reason, the canine.
0: Okay, cool, cool. That was a good answer right there. So we're going to let you off the hot seat. No more Randy's random questions. Not going to ask you if you want to be a molar incisor. We know you want to be a canine tooth now.
1: <laughs> and I didn't know I wanted to be one until you asked. So, but that's what <laughs>
0: <it>. <laughs> so how can people like, find you get more information come to you for business where do they need to look you up at or find you on social media and things like that
1: okay the website is uh houston dentures uh, mm-hmm. facebook is just my name ronald s evans dds on instagram is dr ron e6 and again the name of our practice is houston dentures express so they can find me in one of those spots
0: okay cool i appreciate you sitting down and talking with me noob.
1: hey thanks for having me on the show good brother my pleasure yeah.
0: Well, that's it for the interview with Dr. Ronald Evans. If I had to be a tooth for a day, I'd be a wisdom tooth. Why wisdom tooth, Dr. Randy? Well, I get to chill in the back, just kind of observe everything. I'd be smart, I'd be wise. I've seen everything happen before me. I've learned from all the mistakes that the incisors made and the gap in between the teeth how not to get knocked out (laughs) so that's why I would be so wise and then I might get taken out a little early in life so I get to see the world get to travel a little bit as opposed to some of the other teeth that get taken out when you get older or when they get knocked out when you back talk your mom but That's why I'd be a wisdom tooth. I had to be a tooth for a day. But back to the items I discussed earlier in the HVI aka Healthy People information. Why don't I have more time to see patients? In my opinion, I think it's for two reasons. One is money and the other is access. So let's start off by talking about money. The more slots I have, the more patients i see which generates more money for the health system that i work a part of so i mean i hate to say it but medicine is a business and money has to be made to keep the lights on so more patients bring in more money keeps the lights on keeps the money flowing the other reason is patient access that's why i don't have more time to see patients because patients need access to see me More slots means more availability for patients to be seen. Let's say if I had more time, this would lead for less spots for patients to be seen. So let's think about the schedule that I told you I had earlier. I have 22 slots on my schedule. If I have more time to see patients, I would essentially cut the number of slots in half. So that would be 11 slots that I would have in a day. That's less access for my patients to see me. If you're sick, you want to be seen as soon as possible. More slots leads to more access for you to be seen. So that's how it kind of works out with those 15-minute slots and 30-minute slots that I talked about earlier. If I did longer visits, that would be less access. If you may need to be seen because you feel like you're sick, normally, let's just say it would take two to three days, but if I have longer times and less slots, you might not be able to see me for a week a little bit longer, and that's a long time to be suffering from potentially being sick. So less time essentially means more slots, which leads to more availability to be seen by me if I'm your provider or whoever you're seeing as a physician. There are some practices that allow physicians to have longer time periods to see patients. They're far and in between, but there are some practices that you can find more time. If you feel like you need more time with your doctor, look for one of those practices that may be able to give you more time to sit down and talk with them. But it may lead to you potentially paying a little bit more to see that provider for a long time period. I can't guarantee that the cost will be the same seeing one of these physicians who provide you longer access to be evaluated. So that's it for the conclusion of this part of the podcast. Be sure to rate, like, subscribe, and share with others if you enjoyed this podcast. You doing okay over there in the voice? Yeah, no thanks to you. I had to go get some water to stop all that coughing that I was doing. Okay, I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better. Hope you get that physical too. Yeah, I'm going to get it. Leave me alone. I'm going to make sure I'm okay you too listener make sure you get your physical before the end of the year that's when everybody starts rushing at the end of the year trying to get their yearly physical getting their blood work done pap smears mammograms potentially colon cancer screenings make sure you try to knock that out by the end of the year so you can make sure you're good going into 2022. we have one more episode of this podcast before we end season one And I'm taking a break, so look out for the last episode coming soon. And as always, stay healthy physically and mentally. Have a good one.